Welcome to Chisel Outdoors, stories of travel and outdoor living to inspire you where to go and inform you how to get there. Hey friends, today I'm talking to my friend Caroline Hackett who hiked the AT or the Appalachian Trail a couple years back with starting with a couple friends but actually ended up hiking it alone and so I was really curious to hear her story and her adventures of hiking such a long trek. I mean, this is hundreds of miles um, for the most part alone. And so I hope you not only enjoy this conversation I had with her, but get a lot of value and tips from it as well. Hey, Caroline. Hey, Alex. How are you doing? I am good. I'm doing well. Thanks for asking. Glad to hear it. Now, you're currently up in Yosemite. I am. And you're there for work, not just play. Yep. Definitely a good combination, but lots of work, too. <laughs> <laughs> so what are, you, what are you doing up there currently for, as far as work? I'm currently the assistant guiding manager at Evergreen Lodge. It's just right on the 120 entrance to uh, Yosemite National Park. Nice. So you're taking trips fairly frequently, getting to be engaged with guiding trips as they're going out? Yeah, I do some trips these days. So I'm mostly a bit more behind the scenes, making sure those trips um, have trained guides and the vehicles are all good to go and making new trips and a lot more behind the scenes. But I'm still really lucky to be able to take people out on on tours. A lot of good ones, Mm. too. So. Nice. Yeah. I still, I still need to make my way up to Yosemite. Hopefully, That's, sooner rather than later. Yeah, you that you definitely need to do that. It's a it's a gorgeous place. I mean, there's so many wonderful places in this world, but I mean, Apple put it on the background of their computer, so it must be. That's worth it. <laughs> that is a very compelling argument. Well, I do hope to talk more in depth about your work there currently on another episode. But today, we're going to be talking about your trip on the Appalachian Trail that you did, what, two years ago? Yeah, February 2017 to August 2017. Jeez. Mm -hmm. Wow. And that, you completed the whole Appalachian Trail, right? Yep, yeah. Georgia, Maine. And uh, most, for the most part, one go, really. So took a few breaks, but yeah, it was good. And is that, is that the way most people go? Is it from south going up north, or do most people go the other way around? At peace, most people still go south to north. I mean, there's plenty of okay. uh, people a little extra challenge in a way going the other direction. And uh, more and more people, and it's actually more encouraged to do what they call a flip-flop, which is to mix it up. So the trails becoming more and more popular each year. Um, it, I haven't looked at the numbers recently, but I remember like it keeps like kind of like breaking records and people starting and finishing. So they really oh, want to wow. like break up that impact. Like if you have everyone starting mm. at the same time, there's not going to be enough places to camp. You got people, you know, making new campsites where they shouldn't, all that kind of stuff. So the flip flop yep. has been being kind of pushed. So. Okay. Well, that's good to know. Yep. So what was it about the Appalachian Trail, that at some point you, how did you find out about it? And then what was was it about it when you heard of it 
that made you decide, yeah, that, that's going to be a goal of mine and I want to work toward making this happen? Yeah. Um, when I was a kid, I'm, I'm from Long Island. Um, don't really have that much of an accent anymore. Um, <laughs> so I grew up on Long Island and um, my dad was ski patrol going at some point in his, in his youth at a place called um, Bromley in Peru, Vermont, outside of Manchester there. And uh, he and my mom brought us on there on vacations sometimes in the summer as well as the winter. Uh, but that was where like my total first introduction to like actual like hiking in the mountains because I'm from mm-hmm. like a flat island um, was actually right there at Bromley Mountain and like, you know, hiking there part of the AT and Long Trail. And actually when I was a kid, I, I met people like in the late, late nineties and early two thousands hiking the trail. Um, and it, it just really piqued my interest. It was, um, I mean, I, I fell in love with the outdoors pretty young as a kid though. Once again, mostly at the beach and it was always on my mind, but it wasn't until college where I met a friend of mine who also really wanted to do it. And we were just like, you know what? Like one day we're going to, we're going to do it. Like we'll do it. Like we're, we're going to do it. We don't know when, but we will. Um, and then I remember getting a phone call from my friend tall who you met, um, mm-hmm. who I met while going to college in Western Massachusetts. And she was like, let's do it around this time. And I was just like, yeah, why not? Like, I didn't have any reason not to. It was very achievable. I was like, hell yeah. Like, I almost have a year to prepare. I can save money. I can figure it out. Like, let's, it was like, it wasn't a hard decision to make it. Like, this kind of actually fell in really naturally. Like, I was solid yes right away. That's interesting. So, it, you made the commitment before you were even ready, and it was just, my friend, my, like, I have someone to do this with, so mm-hmm. just why not today commit to making that happen? Yeah, exactly. And it was just, it, and it was something I know it's, everyone's experience really is their own, and um, there's definitely times when it doesn't always feel that way and whatnot, but mm-hmm. I, I never, it's just something I knew I was, I wanted to, and I was going to do it. I didn't really have a doubt. I could definitely claim some ignorance in that because there's plenty out of your control, obviously, that can end a journey. I met plenty of those folks and um, Mm -hmm. actually my friend didn't end up finishing with me because of things totally out of her control um, in this world. So Mm -hmm. yeah, mostly it just felt like natural and I didn't, hesitate and I already had a lot of experience in the outdoors so I I wasn't doubting myself cool so what what did you do to prepare you said you had a year to prepare you all decided to do this a year out how did you go about preparing yourself in order to take on what February Mm -hmm. to August right so Mm -hmm. that's what six seven months yeah it was February 22nd to August 5th. Um, and I didn't know exactly when it would end. We were just trying to hoping it would end sometime July and August was kind of our, our end. Because, um, mm-hmm. yeah, don't know. Um, I know that early in it, we had a Google Doc, who doesn't, those are great, um, to share between the two of us. And we <laughs> used that for like asking ourselves questions and preparation and thinking about the dates. And then eventually we actually um kind of moved away from that 
And mm-hmm. to be honest, I don't, I didn't do like my preparation came so much through my job, wilderness therapy, kind of mm-hmm. the same way I met you. And, um, I didn't mean to, other than like buying a few pieces of gear, I didn't have to heavily go into preparation. I definitely have moments where you get those moments where you're like, oh man, like I, like I read this article about this person bringing every map and this and that. And then you meet, read the opposite of someone going ultralight and you start to realize, the, you know, that, and actually to be fair, I only read like half of an article. Uh, those were just other things like other people telling me their experience. <laughs> I actually, I'll never forget like the first night, like the second night staying in a shelter. And some people were like, what books did you read? And people were like naming like five books. And I was sitting there like, man, I got like 20 pages into a walk in the woods, didn't finish it. And I read like (laughs) half of an article about winter camping, which I've done before. And I was like, I don't need this. And I was just like, oh yeah, like, you know, I I, like stayed out of the conversation. And I was like, oh. Oh Um, my gosh. Man. So I, I got a lot of it through work. Like I'm comfortable in the wilderness. I knew, I knew, like I knew about the AT. Like I remember reading like, I don't know the name of the website, but like the official site about, I mean, I knew it was well marked. You don't need maps. Um, mm. the, and this is depending on the person. Some people are comfortable with that. So by all means, but like for the most part, you don't and like a guidebook really helps. And that's what I had just to know where water and food was in towns. Um, right. And I skimmed through that. That was definitely really big. Got, you know, a lighter pack and a sleeping bag and, a tent and just everything else at that point. I was like, I'm not going to get new. I already have it. And I just went from there. Um, Dang. Yeah. So were there I, any particular skills that you acquired through working in wilderness therapy that either were really beneficial to you on the trail or you thought would be, but then weren't? Oh, both ways for, for sure. I know that general comfort in like different weather scenarios that helped me. I mean, yeah, yeah. (laughs) you know, I think we, I mean, we've what, we've both been in days where we're in the desert in the summer and it's so hot. you literally can't hike. Yep. And we've also, I remember the, my very last shift was Christmas and on Christmas 2016, I woke up and some people can say it's because the shelter wasn't that good, whatever did our best. It was pretty darn good, but like wasn't ready for three feet of snow and woke up with like the shelter right in my face. Like I like touching my nose and I was like, all right, like, you know, you fix it, you move the snow and you get going. So that came in really good handy. Like that tolerance being like, I can figure this out. Like, am I cold and uncomfortable? Sure. But that doesn't mean this, this process doesn't, you know, this process isn't ending because of my discomfort. Like I will see this through. Um, Right. I kind of, it definitely helped, like, give me, I think, a bit more grit and to an extent, like, grit and resilience. Like, you know, just kind of bearing it and then also not letting things, some things kind of get to me in that regard. That helped a lot. Yeah. I'm trying to think of things that I thought would help that didn't. Um, Hmm. I don't, I, I just, I don't think anything can like, you know, in particular didn't help. I just think that experience on its own, um, probably, you know, the biggest just being learning to be uncomfortable. 
And I think that's something that I hear more and more these days, but like truly both like physically, mentally and emotionally uncomfortable, like just yes. learning how to be all of that. Like you can choose to stop or you can choose to, you know, make it work and keep going. That said, there are scenarios where you should probably stop and remove yourself from the situation, but you know, within reason, you know, within absolutely. Reason. Yeah. So the job, Wilderness Therapy did most of your prep. You read 20 pages and half of an article and had a few discussions. Um, when you're out there, was, was there a time that, was there any piece of knowledge that you realized suddenly you were lacking that you could have acquired? Had you done more research or talked to more people? Was there any one thing in particular that stood out like, oh shit, I, I, I wish I would have known this? Um, nothing like nothing that was a deal breaker, if that makes okay. sense. Nothing where I was like, Oh, this is shit. One of the things that I didn't make any major changes, but I understood why some people did was like with, with gear who could do it. Um, mm-hmm. while I had my budget and it was, it all worked out and was plenty. Like a lot of people like this is to me, actually, I didn't know it was a thing until actually right around wilderness therapy. AT time was this big ultralight movement. Like, I know that mm. you should pack light as possible, but, like, you know, tents that weigh, like, in sleeping bags that are all, like, a pound or two pounds or, like, it's really light gear. Um, yeah. that I didn't really understand until I saw it, like, saw someone else's equivalent to mine. Like, you know, I brought my good old steel MSR pot. I don't know if you had the same one from oh, therapy. My. I brought oh, that yeah. with me. And then I had people with, like, it weighed, like, you know, 10% of mine and all that and i think too and i know it's crazy there's everything's so light these days and that's definitely like some stuff i was like now i every when i have to replace gear i'll i'll try and replace it lighter i don't i don't count the ounces as hard as some people um Mm -hmm. but i definitely felt that like i remember when my knees started to really hurt at one point on the trail i sent like well i got rid of my winter gear which was like a a extra like consistent five pounds it felt Mm -hmm. so much better um so I, I I do my best in that department. I try not to get obsessed over it. It's kind of easy to, and I do understand why people do because it like, un like why carry unnecessary weight if you're going for a long distance, like, you know. Right, travel light, travel fast, and be able to cover more ground so that when you're when you're doing ultralight and you're able to hit more ground consistently, you're getting to cities or towns more quickly for your rest days. And then you're not having to do this long haul sludge yeah. of that, consistent burden. Like it's, if you do it right, it should actually be easier on your body. Right. Ex- exactly. And the, for me, the thing wasn't, and actually it didn't become until later. And actually when I'm, I have, I learned a lot. And I remember at the end, I actually made a list of things I learned and want to do better. And a really big one is, and it's hard not to get pulled into it or even just do it naturally. But like, try and go fast and count the miles like Mm. you know there's a lot of sides there's some people who are trying to do it really fast and other people like why would you do that you're walking through you know these beautiful mountains these you know pristine rivers and some pristine rivers not all of them um but like just these beautiful places so why would you rush and then Mm. you know they're just easy as it goes and that's awesome but then you have i've met plenty of people who are like because that's a personal challenge. Like how cool would this be to do that? I'm like, that's awesome. If as long as you don't hurt yourself. 
And then there are other people who are like, I, I would love to take the time, but I have to get back to a job or family. I only mm. have 100 days or less. And you're like, oof, like, you know, and the reality is like, it's, it's a privilege and you're lucky if you can get that time and the resources to, to do that and take that time off. Like there are people that it's not an option. You've got to keep working. You've got to support yourself or your family or your situation. And yeah. I can't not acknowledge that. So the people who are like, why would you go fast? Like, Hey, if this is the only opportunity you're going to have in the foreseeable future, like all the power to you, um, like do it, do what you're going to do. I definitely got too caught up in that and had a deadline that I had to meet at mm -hmm. one point in the trail. And I kind of, I regret putting that deadline there for myself. And that was my personal choice. It was, um, it affected it quite a bit and affected it more than I realized in, in hindsight. Um, though I also, it was, it was for a wedding. I don't regret the wedding. It was awesome. Like I don't regret oh, okay. that, but it was also like, I put pressure to get to Connecticut um, at like a specific time. And that was, that made it pretty difficult to have those like rest days. Like I chose to not have many at all. Um, and that was, you know, not too many. That was kind of difficult, uh, but you live and you learn. So yep. hopefully next time I'll just do it better and put more effort into it and check in with myself more and, you know, be okay. Not rush. Absolutely. So what were some of the, take us through hiking the Appalachian Trail. How did it start out? Uh, what was it like starting? I mean, was there a lot of people starting at the same place you did? Um, did you start like hitting the ground running from that very first day or did you sort of ease into it? And um, was there, is there a, a particular starting point like official starting point in Georgia for the Appalachian Trail? There is. The official starting point is Springer Mountain, though many people do the approach. I'm not going to – I did not do that. And I, I kind of – I laughed because a lot of people were like, oh, you didn't do the approach. Like, you know, does it really count? But all those people were not happy because it's like this long staircase that's like really <laughs> miserable. And they all complained. I was like, why would you tell me I had to do something complained? Also, whatever, like – I started Springer, like you'd started somewhere else. It's fine. Like, you know, there's some purists, which is totally fine. Um, that's where we started. And I, I'd like to think we kind of ease into it. Um, I started the trail actually at the time with um, my best friend and my boyfriend on mm -hmm. day three. Um, you know, a lot of talking and working through things. Um boyfriend saw it best to maybe like step this one out so he headed out and my friend tall and i continued um hiking mm -hmm. and yeah i think the first day we did like eight miles or something like that and okay. we kind of stayed in like low i'm trying to think here like in like the teens and whatnot until we were in like this at the end of the smoky mountains and so i remember when we did i think in there i think we did like our first 20 and then we did a lot of like high teens to mid 20 days um some of those are pretty long <laughs> in hindsight uh but once again i was trying to make that that date um which at the you know at the time was a choice that I made. And I think if I go back, I take it a, a little bit slower 
things mm-hmm. might have actually ended up at like the same place at the same time, but that pressure just wouldn't have been there. Um, but it, it was, man, I don't know how to kind of like walk through it. It just, I kind of picture it in sections and it kind of jumps around in my head. Mm-hmm. Um, I know that for like, starting in February, March and April, I was in snowstorms like every month. Um, like sign of like, yeah, God, it was so cold. Um, I kind of have like little pins in my mind of like the major events in each section. And in the early mm-hmm. part, the biggest one was like the Smoky Mountains. It's gorgeous. But we followed in right after a, a snowstorm. We were actually, I remember going in from the Fontana Dam and like breaking trail. And then it was really cold. Like I remember it being like it was like single digits or negatives like at that point to me it's quite kind of all the same (laughs) some of the first few nights there and it was just real cold um but gave you motivation to get moving in the morning (laughs) (laughs) um that's something that is marked in me so then what were some of those high points throughout the rest of the trail with I mean I know that's that's a lot but like what are some of the the first things that come to mind when you think of like the places you were and what were some of your favorite places throughout the entire trail um I wow there's 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 quite a few and it's hard because I, I, I could imagine. Yeah. <laughs> I I kind of immediately go to like thinking about it, like the really difficult moments, but like also mm-hmm. I don't want that to like be, that's not the entire highlight. Um, yeah. I want to. Well, I'm we like, could start with the hard stuff just <laughs> as well. I mean, that those nights in the smoke, um, in the Smokies and then in Virginia in a, I'll never forget being in the Grayson Highlands at, um, what was the name of that shelter? Like Thomas Knob or something. Someone's going to be like, this one that you're talking about. There are like wild ponies everywhere. And remember there was this horse outside the shelter. We were once again in a blizzard and there's this horse outside the shelter like shivering. And it was hanging out because it like when people would go out to pee, it was like licking people's pee to get like the salts. Um, really? <laughs> which, oh yeah, yeah. And it, it it would stick its head in the shelter and just like hang out. And, and you could like chill with you. A wild horse would just chill with you. Yeah, you you could. I mean, wow. I didn't. I don't. I don't. I was told not to like trust wild animals too much, so I, I try not to. People took some challenges with those. You're not supposed to like get too close and approach them and whatnot. I think mm-hmm. some people kind of had some difficult moments. I know a few people got like they got too close and they got the horse kicked them. Um, Ouch. <laughs> yeah, but that night was that night was defined. We knew there was a storm coming, didn't really understand to the extent it would be, and it it was so cold, and it was gusts of, like, up to 80 miles an hour, and it felt like the shelter was going to, like, I was in the Wizard of Oz, and the whole house was just going to go up in a tornado or something. It was terrifying. Like, barely Jeez. slept. Woke up totally, like, soaking wet, nothing, like... My it's the only time my my sleeping bag gets so soaked it was useless. It wasn't like a you know 
a down bag. It was like treated with some water repellencies, but there's only so much you can do. And yeah, the, like snow got into the shelter and then our body heat like melted it. It was, it was kind of miserable. But then like once we got out of the shelter and moving, like there were some real mm-hmm. miserable points. Like we wanted to call for a shuttle and we didn't have service. Like we tried to get, but then we we're like, all right, we're walking ourselves out of here. And it kind of got like funny from there. At one point, I, I was, we were still in a little bit of a storm, and I'm like walking, and I like totally decked out, head to toe in like frog togs, and looking like a fisherman out of place in the mountains. And I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> I was talking about like how much I like love the snow until I like ate it, and my like trekking poles went flying, and I slipped on ice, and I was just like sitting there being like, oh god, it's gonna be okay. And my friend was just <laughs> laughing at me, and I was just like, oh, that was you know. I think I'll be a snowbird. I'm like, my arm's fine. And I, like, laughed it off and then got a, got a hitchhike from these wonderful ladies who were, like, an absolute hoot to ride in the car with and ended up actually working out fine. And we got through that and definitely have that story for as long as I'll remember. Um, uncomfortable, for sure. But uh, those ladies, I wish I could remember their names. It was so funny. They just... They were wonderful. <laughs> so they were just driving in the middle of a snowstorm and just happened to see you or you we like, got, hit a road or we went further down and went to a, the visitor center to part of the Grayson Highlands and we're like hanging out there and I was just like standing, trying not to be too freaking people out and like asking if people approach me like, yeah, looking for a ride. Some people are like, okay, like I don't I don't like linger like near people's cars or anything. I won't make them uncomfortable. So I stood kind of where they could ask and they could engage, but like no pressure. And then eventually yeah. they're like, oh, we're, we're going back to, um, Dema- like to Damascus and we'll give you a ride. And, um, yeah, people were so friendly. I hitchhiked so much on that trail, like, and never had any issues and people were great. Um, you got so- any practical hitchhiking advice? Actually, I do. do. Clearly, don't don't hang around the cars too much. Yeah. Reasonable distance. <laughs> I, I did. My my friend Tall saved us one day. I, like, got too comfortable with it once. And someone's like, hop in. We'll give you a ride to town. And I, like, threw my bag in the car. And my friend was just like, hey, hey. And I was like, what? And she's like, she was the one that, like, approached the window a bit more. And she was like, they reek of, like, they're drunk. Like, what are you doing? And I was like, oh, God. And I, like, grabbed my bag. And we're like, never mind. We'll, like, wait for the next one. They're like, we don't get it. We're trying to help. And they, like. They were, you know, three sheets to the wind. They were definitely gone after I noticed. I kind of got too like, oh, yeah, let's just hop in the car. And she was like, dude, like, we got to, like, you know, not, that never, that was right in the very beginning. I'll never let that happen again. I think that was somewhere yeah. outside Dahlonega in Georgia. And, um, yeah, always, always, always figure out a check on that one. Don't get into a car with a drunk person. That could end terribly. So it sounds... How, how many did you have to hitchhike a lot at various parts or just because of weather or is that just certain parts of the trail you have to get um, a ride at some point or yeah there there are road crossing there's a lot of road crossings where walking to town is kind of difficult or impossible it'll take you a lot of time so mm. you just hitchhike into town to get your resupply or stay where you're staying um, so that was, yeah, really pretty common. Um, okay. Yeah. So you, it's not you like you're walking to many towns. You have to get a ride. 
So you're not hitchhiking down or up the trail. You're just to town. And so I'm assuming you, you guys mailed yourself supplies in advance, correct? I actually never did that. Really? I did it once at the very end and I regretted it. I, I didn't find it necessary. Well, here's the thing is I was just like, I can hitchhike into town and I have to, the problem is if you mail ahead stuff, there's totally pros, but the cons I saw is, well, what if I don't want that food at that time? Like what if, and that happened to a lot of people, they prepacked all their food and then they would get the food and they're like, oh, I don't want this. Pros, people like me got that food for free because because <laughs> <laughs> those people were like, I can't look at this anymore. I was like, cool. I've never seen it. I'll take it. So that was the thing. And then I was like, I'm going to go into town any like, you know, go into the town to like, I have to go into town to go to the post office. You have to go in the post right. office is open. You you're paying to send yourself that stuff. Like I just couldn't see like it put more limitations on it. Um, I know that for some people though, with like dietary needs, it was awesome because mm-hmm. if you, you know, if you need to rid of something or had a dietary preference and you could do that, that's like possible all the way up and down the trail if planned well. So, but for the most, I, I stayed away from it. Um, and I'm glad I, I'm glad I did. It worked out well for me in that regard. That's interesting. Cause every time I've ever heard of a long distance trail like that, I've always heard that as just like one of the staples in preparation. Mm-hmm. I know that I've, I've never hiked the PCT. Um, I've only been on short chunks of it here in Yosemite. And I know that there's a lot of places where you, you need to, like if you're not hitchhiking a really long distance, like it's not realistic not to send mm-hmm. yourself a package. A really common place on the PCT to send yourself a package is in Tuolumne Meadows here in Yosemite. Um, you'll find plenty of folks hanging out there at the right time in the summer, mm-hmm. um, refueling and getting supplies. But you just you're so in the East, it's so much more developed and you're walking, I mean, you're walking across like major highways and road, like not road walking per se, but you just, there's a lot of crossings. Um, Hmm. and you just don't, you don't need to. I mean, I knew, I knew a kid who I feel bad. I call like everyone a kid. Um, (laughs) (laughs) his name was the captain and he went into town like at least every three days, usually every other day. Cause he had like a really high metabolism. He would go and like eat a bunch, like eat a cheeseburger and like as much food as he could. And then would like pack up and go. And it worked that he, it worked. I mean, you can huh. do that almost the whole way other than the hundred mile wilderness and the, the last section of the trail. Wow. I would not have suspected you could be hitting towns every other day. No, if you, and I mean, you have to, that I will say you, you might want to be a little bit, more comfortable with higher miles to be one of those people. Cause there were, I think there were some parts where you definitely had to like, you know, if you were like comfortable cruising at like 15 miles a day, which at one point I read was the average. I, I don't have mm-hmm. to feel free to fact check or whatnot, but um, I think that might be a little more difficult and it's also more time. Like sometimes it works out. Like I have waited for trying to hitchhike for like two hours until someone picked me up so if that doesn't work out like you're oh yeah you're losing time if that's something you need to really plan for so then the cold was definitely sounds like the the single hardest thing to deal with all the snow coming in getting stuff getting wet was always that's the reason i always thought the rain was the single worst thing being outside just anytime my stuff gets wet 
that was the thing I always hated the most. But especially in the cold, like if it's snowing so much, it's getting inside your shelter, clearly safety hazard. But um, what were some of the other really challenging points that you encountered on that trip? Um, the I mentioned the biggest one of like keeping one of the biggest, not the biggest, but like staying on that schedule that I made mm-hmm. my, made myself. But actually, probably the the absolute biggest came when my friend um, had to go off trail couldn't finish it and it was a it's a little less than like 700 miles that I I I hiked by myself for the most part um a lot of people I knew and had met Mm -hmm. in the first part of the trail I had taken some time off my friend got sick and I was hoping she would get better and I took Uh... like two weeks off and I kind of like waited Mm -hmm. um and when we realized that wasn't in the cards continuing on was difficult I definitely cried to multiple people on the phone I mean, yeah. said I couldn't do it or didn't know and people were just supportive and no one gave me a, a hard answer they just like kind of did what we know like <laughs> repeated your options back to you yep and I decided to go on and then, then the hardest part came being by myself for so long I had a few days not many where I actually didn't even I like would see people but I didn't talk to anyone um hmm. Because there just wasn't anyone there. Um, And being by yourself and in your own thoughts for that long. Yeah. That is a challenge. Um, And I think I got a little better at it at the end. And I could argue that's probably because I was close to the end and kind of saw that light. But I, it, that almost made me walk off many times, but then I kind of, I would pull myself out of it. And then like, there's a lot of more ups and downs. Like, you know, usually people, I think people could agree if you're kind of down in the dumps and you've got a a loved one or a friend near you, they can kind of help pull you out. Mm -hmm. But eventually that person's just you and you either pull yourself out or it can be hard. And I actually, I remember meeting a friend on the trail while me and my friend tall were still together and, running into him where he was he's from France and he's like hey I'm heading back to France and we're like oh man like you know why not you're you know more than like two-thirds of the way there and he just was just like it's been fun and I haven't been having fun lately so I'm just gonna leave and I was just like wow that's, that makes a lot of sense actually you know that's what yeah. you should do I guess um and I'm, I'm really happy that I like I like pushed through it and I did have a, a blast um, but I kind of made it a challenge to myself in the end to, you know, figure out what I had to do to like, you know, not think so negatively. Cause when you, you know, fall into your own thoughts, sometimes you just go there. Um, yep. I remember thinking about like scenarios in my life that would like never happen. Cause I was just like sad and alone. Um, and then I would kind of look up and like realize what I was doing and where I was or, um, that, you know, kind of figuring out and like checking in with yourself and, kind of figuring out how to ground yourself. Something that I got really good at actually is I would like meet people. And if they're like kind of hiking a similar pace to me, I would just be like, Hey, like, can I hike with you for like three hours if you're going that direction? And everyone always said, yes. Like I would just then start talking (laughs) to people. They were like, this chick just walked up to me and was just like, Hey, can I I, like hang out with you for a few hours? And 
I felt like I was like a little kid again when you're like calling up your friends. You're like, do you want to like just play and hang out? For, you know, <laughs> I had never met these people. And that, that was, that was fun. Um, I met a lot of cool people that way. Most of them doing like sections and things um, mm-hmm. who are just really like that energy to be around is really nice. That was always one of my favorite things about doing trips, being outside. People almost always, if not always, are just so much more open and vulnerable with each other. Because it's kind of like, oh, wait, I, I don't have to be alone, me against the elements. Like, there's something about being exposed to the elements that just seems to naturally open people up to other people. And that's always been one of the most exciting things for me about, about being outside. Yeah, I, I agree. It's definitely, was it wilderness or the outdoors? It's that catalyst for sure. Mm-hmm. Kind of forces you to look at a lot of things, mostly yourself. And that's so true. It got to the point where like, with when some of those conversations I started with people, I wasn't, you know, of course, I'd be like, hey, like, what's your name? Where are you headed? Like, kind of thing. And and then I would, I would just like go right in. I'm like, why are you hiking? How do you feel about all of this? Like, when it was other through hikers, like, are you actually happy? Like, what's going on? Like, and a lot of people, like, I remember a few people were like, man, like, no one asks that. But then that conversation would start, and it was just nice to get out. Yeah, that's really cool. So did you end up hiking with some of those people later on uh, after Tall was out of the picture and it was just you? Or did you really just stay on your own uh, at the end? I, I was a bit on my own until like the last week. I actually met um, the last three or four days of the trail. I hiked with a gentleman named Mike from Montana who we like were like hiking the same pace we were just like chatting and telling stories i he's actually like the one one of the few people from the trail that one i have his real name um and i can actually have contact info to reach out and i should do that and say hi that that made it a lot uh, it was a lot more fun like those days were were great just having someone to hike with um and then I also mm. met a woman named Shortcut, who I'm actually meeting up with to hike with in about a month. Um, who? Oh, cool. Yeah, we just clicked. And it's funny, like, with her, like, I've, I actually saw her while she's from Florida. And I saw her while I was in Florida um, a few weeks ago when me and you were talking. Um, and the reality is, on the trail, I probably talked to her less than easily less than 10 hours while I was on the trail. And then she ended up being at the same hostel as me. I, she's got me to from Maine to Massachusetts where I got picked up with my friend. And then my folks came to pick me up from there to bring me back to Long Island to see some of my family. But right there, like the out, it like being in the outdoors, it fostered and kind of forced that connection to an extent. And, you know, we're, you know, we're friends. We're going to hike. We're going to go hike in another country together. And, you know, some of the people I knew best, like in reality, or not know best, but felt closest to. And I'm like, yeah, they're my friend. I like think. 
Hey, Alex again. Hello. Hey, there you are. I don't know. I I take fault. I probably hit a button without realizing it. No worries. It's okay. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not sure what happened, but that's okay. I'll be able to edit the audio fairly easily, so it'll be seamless. <clears throat> awesome. But uh, so yeah, we'll just jump back into it. So, I want to ask some questions about more about your preparation and some of the gear that you took. Um, mm-hmm. And I, I'll start with. What kind of shelter did you pack? Did you take a tent or did you do a wilderness therapy style with just a tarp and some ropes? Because you mentioned when you were in the snow, the snow getting in and melting into your sleeping bag. So I'm really curious, like what shelter you had that the snow actually got inside? So the during that, just to be fair, because when I mentioned the tent, I, I I want to be totally fair about it. I was actually in like a wooden shelter at that point on the trail. And then I was actually for extra warmth because it was so cold. I was then in with tall in my tent in a shelter, which you usually don't do, but there's only a few of us and no one else coming. And we all decided like at one point, we're like, all right, no one else is showing up. We know we're going to take up more room, but we, it was so cold that we were all like, all right, like we're going to set up our tents. And if someone comes in, like we need to make room for them. Um, mm-hmm. kind of thing because that's you know to be fair you why would you set up a tent in a shelter and then overnight are the condensation that occurred from us like breathing and whatnot it, and then we like melted it and then snow came in through all the cracks and things and everything just got soaked and I actually uh... it I the tent because I was in a shelter I like, didn't have it completely set up like I left some parts of it like open like the fly was open but on um is trying to get like some venting but like keeping most of the heat um that gotcha. was like a very that that has never occurred since then it was just really rough weather windy cold um and lots of snow but i i did take a tent i didn't do it wilderness therapy style because there were a lot of bugs on the trail especially in the summer gotcha that that was definitely a factor in keeping me going some days like in vermont like i wouldn't I, everything was on the move because the mosquitoes were trying to get to me so i had a tent i had and i still have and i love it it's favorite tent um it is a big agnes tent a a two-person fly creek which i actually saw while i was um picking up at the time that year in 2016 i was picking up um my boyfriend off the pct in yosemite and i Mm-hmm. We're dropping, you know, it was dropping him off at one point, but all of his friends, they had, they all had that tent, like, and they were all set up. And at the time we talked about, it, I'm like, you know, that's a, a good tent. Let's go with that one. And, um, you know, if everyone else is using it and happy with it, like, you know, that speaks a lot to that. Um, and I, it's been great. Like it's a, it's a light. The biggest thing is I've never had like a really light tent before. And, uh-huh. um, I think it's less than two pounds if I can recall and it packs down really easily, especially if you like don't pack it, everything together, you can really like break it down and tuck it away. So I like that a lot. That's fantastic to know. And then what kind of, what kind of pack were you taking? I, I ended up going with, um, a I forget the exact name of it, but a, it's just under forty liters. It's a ultralight pack from um, Hyperlight, and okay, 
to be totally honest on that one, I I was like choosing packs online, and there's so many. It just it's preference. Um, yeah. Some people like really popular ultralight packs. I, I saw a lot of like hyperlights and like ULA, and then a few like ospreys and things. But there were just so many different packs. It's just totally. What do you like? What what's going for you? And I was trying to make that decision online, and my inner honorary Yankee of New England was like <laughs> Maine, like perfect, like let's do it. Like I've had great experiences with like, you know, like homegrown stuff from New England. So why not yep. continue the tradition? Um, I have no regrets. I like it a lot. It doesn't have like the breathability on your back that a lot of people um, like, but I like things like close and snug and it, I like the way the waiting was and it it worked out well and I just you get used to it and um it's I'm gonna it's my go-to for overnighting I don't get to use it too much in Yosemite just because um when I've gone out with friends or guiding and carrying a lot more gear you have to have like a bear can out here and whatnot so it's been a little oh, more difficult yeah. to fit with that because I end up carrying quite a bit of gear which is totally fine um but on my personal adventures, it's my go-to. So 40 liters was enough to to do kind of the all-around between all the winter gear you had to pack at the beginning? I mean, clearly for summer gear, which is pretty much always lighter and less, but that was enough for all the heavy winter stuff that you had to pack? Yeah, it was. I mean, there oh. was – and I, I, didn't, I didn't have too many, like, comfort items and – whatnot i had i'd like to think when i needed i definitely had some things where people like why would you carry that it's more weight but i was like i'm not getting rid of my journal or Mm. that's basically my my journal and a few other things but there's um internally it's 40 liters but there's some netting on the sides like two water bottles and i could fit a lot on the outside of it um during like the day and whatnot like the i usually would carry four to five days of food with me after going into town and I will mm-hmm. say, day one after that could get interesting how to fit all that food. <laughs> um, it was, I definitely, I, I definitely like, there were some times where I was like hiking with a grocery bag in my hands. I was like, whatever, like, it's only for a day. <laughs> I'm hungry. <laughs> so, speaking of food, did you have a fairly standard diet of like high carbs and? than just packing some fruit and and canned meats or did it just kind of vary from city to city according to what you could find at the stores and whatever you felt like like buying you nailed it on the second part i didn't do (laughs) a lot of this goes back to me not doing like too much research um and i i went with like kind of what i knew at first i definitely had more i would actually carry like fruits and vegetables and I did that for about a month until, like, I started my – it just – you start getting, like, the hiker hunger more. Like, you get consistently hungry. You start – you're burning yeah. calories. Your body knows it. And I needed more – I couldn't justify a pound of carrots with the same calories of, like, a thing of Pop-Tarts. Like, I needed more calories, <laughs> obviously. Probably more – less sugar and more protein and carbs would have been better. But a lot of people ride the sugar wave. Um, at one point I got pretty consistent and I'm pretty sure I remember like for breakfast, I would have like pop tarts and then I would have a snack hour and then like lunch and dinner and lunch was usually like 
I remember at one time I had like um, eggs that I could rehydrate and I did that for a bit for lunch and that was awesome. Um, really? Probably one of my favorites. Yeah. I would cook midday for that when it was cold. I had, it was so lovely to like have like a, I had a bacon, egg and cheese burrito like a few days and Ooh. that was great. Yes. But when that ran out, it was definitely a lot of like, I don't, I don't like peanut butter. Um, <gasps> I know. No. One time I said that when we were working, <laughs> I know. I just, I don't like peanuts. Actually, I discovered that I do like peanuts in one form and that is boiled peanuts. Those things are addicting and I would eat those all day, but I don't like, I don't like peanuts that much, hmm, but I okay. would make myself put peanut butter on a tortilla and eat it because I needed those calories. And then I'd reward myself with like a spoonful of cookie butter or whatnot. Did you say a cookie butter? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Yes. I ate a lot of cheese at one. Cheese was a, a big one for me. I would go through like, one time I ate two pounds of cheese in a day. Usually I would just eat a pound a day. Um, yeah, it was, that was a big one. And then for dinner, like my favorite was white cheddar macaroni and cheese, but I mixed it up and had a bunch of like those Norse pasta things that we would get for treats and wilderness therapy. Yep. That was a big one. Um, but it varied for me. It was like, oh, this is on sale and it looks decent. I shall eat it for dinner. Like Nice. Mm-hmm. trekking poles or no trekking poles trekking poles okay but i did hike with a gentleman i forgot i, I feel bad that you're like i actually haven't talked about the 18 a long time and mm-hmm. i don't get excited talking about too too many things but like i can hear it in my own voice how happy i am to talk about this because it's been <laughs> so long and you're bringing back memories that were buried deep deep within my mind but I hiked five days in the White Mountains with someone by the trail name uh, Ricola, and he did not use trekking poles, and he loved it. And he's like, you know, relying on them too much made, um, like, and it's not as good for my knees. And I'll never forget, like, the last day after going through, like, the Wildcat area and after, like, Carter Hut, like, it's just so much, like, up and down and rock. And I was, like complaining so much and in so much pain and like he just like laughed at me like the whole time I was just like man like doesn't this bother you and he would just be like yes but I don't complain like you (laughs) (laughs) and I mean he had it going on so I can't you know for me I like them I I don't have the I had kind of a bum left knee when I started Mm -hmm. so I I wanted to have trekking poles especially for going for me downhill to break up my weight that's to this day, if I'm going on a yeah. long hike, I'll bring them for my downhills. Gotcha. That makes sense because I'd never use trekking poles, but going downhill, especially if you're carrying most of my downhill was like on day hikes, not with a full pack. But with a full pack, that's a lot of can certainly be a lot of pressure on the knees. Yeah. And also it, it's slippery or can be like you one wrong step going downhill at a certain grade and with all that being top heavy with a pack, having like you're, if you, once you start going, you're gonna go. But having poles, I could certainly see helping on the downgrade. Oh yeah, they they broke multiple falls for me. Hmm. I you know I also knew people who got rid of them because they're like I paid too much. They paid too much attention and it made them like fall. But I I liked it. They broke a few of my falls. Um, it was something to do with my arms. You know that was nice and. 
Um, it was actually, you reminded me, I, when I was hiking the trail, I hiked a big chunk of it with a friend of mine. Um, his nickname is Crispy. We walked a big portion <laughs> of the Mid-Atlantic together. Um, it's, his, it's his childhood nickname. He would always let people know. Um, but he went to Virginia Tech where he worked with, there's only a few in the country, but he worked with um, a professor of uh, recreation ecology. And who actually studied the effects of trekking poles on like the AT and long hikes and how to use them appropriately and how they can do a lot of damage to the ground and the earth in some scenarios and when to put your rubber tips on and when not to. And we talked about that quite a bit. Yeah. I mean, if you pay attention on like heavily trekked areas, you see areas that are like rock gets totally scratched up and certain like areas, the ground gets destroyed by people just like bombarding it with poles um, it definitely made me more conscious of it. So if like I'm on a flat, I like uh-huh. take them off the ground and I carry them because I, I don't want to try not to contribute that. Um, since we're on that topic, I don't know how I got it there. Interesting. <laughs> I, well, I had never heard that before. Again, never having used them myself, uh, just seeing and knowing people who did. Um, I'm going to take a stab and say, cause some of them have sharp points, uh, mm-hmm. steel or aluminum heads, and that's, I'm assuming that's where you would, you would use that knot where there's like rock so that you're not scratching the rock, but would, it'd be better to use a rubber tip. Um, and then yeah. use the, the head for soft ground where any holes you put in it can easily be recovered. Is that, is that fair from what, if you happen to remember what he talked about on that it's topic? Def- it's definitely situational. So they actually contribute a lot of micro trash to the environment because a lot of them, they have different tips, but they have those rubber tips that you put over them. Most come with that. And I found so many of those on the trail. I never had to buy them, but I had like more than 10 pairs I would take, give away, or then get rid of off the trail. Um, because when they come off when you're not paying attention. Yep. And when you're on like flats and you don't want to stab them to the ground, like that's a great time to put on that rubber. Certain types of rock, mm. like sandstone, even though they're now that I say that out loud, this is just in general, not the AT. Um, yeah. Those rubber tips would be helpful for grip, but I found like granite, like you're just sliding all over the place, but you should be thoughtful with where you put your um, trekking poles. Like if you, you can totally scratch up the rock quite a bit. Um, but if you like actually take your time to like look and put it in like little nooks and things, you can really minimize your impact. Um, and someone might say like, why does like, you know, I totally, I hear the argument how people say, like, why do scratches on a rock matter? Like, why would that? That's kind of silly. Um, and, I mean, for one thing, like, your scratches and whatnot, like, you're not just scratching the rock. You're sometimes adding, once again, micro trash to the environment. Mm-hmm. But also, like, a big thing is just, like, preserving wilderness. Like, if you want to yep. be closer to the outdoors, like, if you're walking and you notice a bunch of, like, trampled ground, scratched rock, or, like, unnecessary, like, cairns, which people love to do these days, um, yep. that that can detract uh from from experience oh absolutely so what but were... I, I do like mine okay what kind of footwear were you using you mentioned the frog togs which for anyone who isn't familiar with frog togs are kind of like uh an over boot that you can put on top of I mean, they make them big enough usually that you can put them on top of any other footwear that you're you're wearing, and it's for keeping out the snow, kind of like kind of like galoshes, but 
more wilderness oriented. Um, and I've heard great things about the insulated um, frog togs. Those things are awesome. I actually, I didn't use that type of frog tog or like you're talking about like the New England overshoe. I mean, oh, okay. the, the, the $20 rain suit of jacket and pants that you can find um, easily on like Amazon or whatnot. Uh, I, I actually started that. Yeah, it's okay. what, what were those things we had in wilderness? I thought they were the, the frog togs. The frogs the, in wilderness, the kids had, um, they had frog togs, like they had a frog tog rain pants. They had that. And mm-hmm. then the things that won the shoe, those were Neos or New England overshoes. That's shoes. what the, okay. Those were totally waterproof. That goes, they're big enough that to put over a boot. And then they were, yes. they were so heavy. They were great for wilderness living, but walking a distance was kind of rough in those. Gotcha. Um, okay. Then, mm-hmm. so yeah, totally, totally remembered that one wrong. <laughs> But, okay. Uh, what uh? So, what kind of footwear were you wearing since you had to go through both heavy snows, but then also in the heat of summer? Did you just carry one boot and just have an over boot like Neos for the first portion, or did you switch up your footwear partway through? I didn't. I didn't switch up, and I didn't have gaiters or anything. I just had. I'm actually wearing the not the exact, the same make and model, but not the exact pair um, of solomon boots um they're uh, gosh i don't remember what these things are called but um it's my favorite boot i've ever worn um it is just it for me it fits wonderfully and mm-hmm. it is sturdy my biggest gripe with it and this might cause a little controversy but <laughs> is that <laughs> it's gore-tex and mm-hmm. most things especially shoes i don't like with gore-tex because it uh keeps the moisture out and keeps the moisture in to an extent. Like once they're saturated, they stay wet for a long time. But for me, I kind of like tolerated that. And I just, overall, they were really comfortable. Um, So that was my, my go-to. My feet were definitely hot in the summer, like pretty darn hot. But I kind of got this level of like tolerance for uncomfortable that I kind of like it, it drifted out for me. It didn't bother me too often. Okay. I don't have to do those. Should I I am pleased to say though because I you know want to get a boot from them cuz I really like overall the shoes that they make. I emailed them the other day and they just came out with a men's boot that doesn't have Gore-Tex. They have one finally. So Oh. I can't wait to be their customer. So hopefully they'll soon come out with the women's version of that or are you just going to go ahead and buy the men's and be like, "Yeah, I'm going to own these." so they actually they already have the women's but i don't fit women's shoes very well so i'm waiting for the men's but they actually had the women's first (laughs) and then the woman i emailed them like oh we have them and i was like i'm sorry like i I can't i don't wear women's shoes i'm like i'm a size 10 men's like (laughs) a wide foot like i'm not even gonna go there like i just want that Um, yeah mm -hmm. well i'm glad they finally have have the right shoe for you me too (laughs) well so in, in conclusion and wrapping up, if I were to tell you, hey, I'm getting ready to go, well, it was already February, say I'm about to go here in a couple of weeks, aside from conditioning, um, or, what, or even including conditioning, like, say overall, I'm for the most part ready to go, like I have, I have some experience um, with outdoor 
recreation, outdoor hiking. But what would be some of your main tips for me to get ready and prepare if I were to tell you, like, I have some experience, but like, I'm going to commit, excuse me, I'm going to commit to the, to the AT. What would you, what advice would you give me? This is probably going to sound totally corny. And I, I think that it's one of those things that you hear, but you don't understand probably until after the fact, because at least that's how it worked out for me, Mm -hmm. but making sure, I mean, it's a, it's a long journey. Like it's almost 2,200 miles. Like if you, if you want to do the whole thing, like I would say, go for it, hike it. And then when it stops being fun, cause I just saw this happen to a lot of people, like, like, you know, take your, you know, it's okay. Like you don't have to do the whole thing. Like do it until you're happy. Like mm-hmm. it's crazy how many people out there were actually really miserable. Like I, everyone has bad days, like one yeah. few bad days, like don't let that stop you. But when you're on like week three of being miserable, like it's time to, time to head out. Like you don't have to keep going. Um, and maybe come back to it. The happiest people were section hikers. The when they did it in like for a month at a time, they were just beaming. They're like, Oh, that's good. Like going back to my world. And <laughs> they were, they were so happy. Um, they were, they had, yeah, I think they figured something out there and just yeah. letting it be your own. It's just like this, these day and age with this day and age, here we go. I can't talk. Um, especially with like social media, it's so easy to compare yourself to people and even just talk to people on the trail, like people yep. hiking it for so many different reasons and whatever their reasons are, that's fine. But let yours be your own. And, you know, comparison is the death of happiness. Don't fall into that to the best of your ability and do Amen what works for you. And it is, you know, just take care of yourself. Like I'd be a, it would be unfair for me to say like, don't just think of like the end you think of the end every day when you wake up because it's awesome to be able to say that you hiked from Georgia to Maine, like that's, yep. and that's fine. But you know, think of your days and think of yourself first. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to share your journey on the Appalachian trail with me. And I really, it's been fun catching up and it's, I really do appreciate it. Cause even after you did it, I never got a chance to, or I never made the time to like sit down and really ask you about it. So I'm glad that I have the opportunity to do so now and that you join me to do it. Yeah, you're, you're really welcome. And honestly, it's my pleasure. Thank you for having me. I hope that like everything, you know, this project goes successfully and seriously, thank you for, um, bring me back to actually some really good memories and like just being more thoughtful. Cause you know, it was only two years ago, but I, I don't think of that as often as I should anymore. And yeah. I, didn't, I haven't talked about it or gotten to share it in so long and actually had someone ask. So like, thanks for asking. I really appreciate it. <laughs> yeah. And I, I yeah. do hope to have you back. I intend to have you back uh, to talk more about your time in Yosemite and all the things you're looking forward to doing uh, in the future. So we'll have to make that happen as well. Let's do it. Thanks so much, Alex. Sweet. Take care. You too. Thanks for listening. If you would like to be a guest on the show and share your stories, you can find the link in the show notes to apply or on our website, chiseloutdoors.com. 
You can also find us on Instagram and Pinterest and find all the gear and equipment you need for your next adventure on our site, chiseloutdoors.com. Cheers to your next adventure.